Welcome to The Key to Carowin, a work of original fiction by Wendy Fair. Key to Carowin is narrated by Mason Fair. The Key to Carowin, Chapter 11, The Door. The darkness oozes into the room, oblivious to the window through which it has to pass, hardly checked by the harsh glare of the ceiling light its tarnished finish adding to the darkness of the room rather than to the illumination of it. Ordinarily, the woman would shut the drapes, letting the light of the two floor lamps suffice in keeping the shadows at bay. But she does not on this night. This night requires a stronger talisman to quell the pain the darkness whispers of. The girl watches the windows with a dark cast to her eyes, issuing in outbursts of coughing now and then. She sees the shadows seep in with the darkness, knows their movements and recognizes their voices. The woman usually leaves the television on too, noise to mask the disquieting mutterings of the shadows that always seem just beyond the reach of her hearing. But the thing remains silent this night. The cold seeps in under the front door, spilling along the floor and collecting in small pools that chill the feet. There are many feet wading through the low-lying puddles this night. The girl weaves through the crowd of people, ducking their brief smiles that fail to warm their eyes, dodging the halting conversations that stop abruptly with her advent and resume after her passing, falling to the floor with the sound of finality. The girl searches for the woman and finally sees her. She sits on the edge of the couch, eyes reddened, white-knuckled grip on her cup and face downcast. She nods at the conversation dropped down on her from those surrounding her, but never raises her head. A hand falls onto the girl's shoulder and she quickly glances up. I can see a parting excuse already on her tongue, but it slips away. It is only her, and the girl returns to the study of the woman where she sits across the room. They should keep talking to her, the girl whispers. She doesn't cry if they keep her talking. Let her cry if it helps. The girl moves to find the man but does not approach him. Instead, she watches him from a few steps away. Another coughing fit blending mutely into the mutterings of the crowd. The man stands in the midst of the others. He shrugs occasionally at the conversation hanging in the air about him. Sometimes he glances at the woman, but does not make his way over to her. Why isn't he helping her? The girl whispers. Why isn't he doing something? Another cough, and a pulling closer of the girl's thin sweater. What would you have him do? She asks, a hand on the back of the girl's head. Make all this badness go away. I don't think he can do that. No, I very much doubt that he can. A tooth-jarring rattle of a plastic box on the wall. 
The clattering thrums along the timbers of the house and crashes down from the ceiling. A telephone. A quick dash to pick up the handle. The woman speaks into it. She pales and drops the thing back onto the box. That was the hospital, she tells the man. We have to go. A nod, a dropping of cups, a grabbing of coats, a dash to the door. The girl is there. Where are you going? Can I come? She pleads. No, you're still sick. We'll be back in a while. Come the solitary replies just before the door closes, shutting the girl inside with the others. The girl watches the car move quickly down the street until the taillights are consumed by the gloaming of the night. She turns, only to find all eyes on her. The girl threads her way through the crowd of people, uncertain, casting faltering glances at the faces besieging her. Her passage is marked by silence and averted eyes as the adults only stand fingering their discomfort. They can do scarce more than the children can, but persist in believing they have some power here. The boy, small comfort that he may have been, is nowhere to be seen. The shadows beckon and pull the girl into a corner of the room. They cling to her, holding her closely. She shivers and hugs her sweater to her with another wet hacking. They left us, the girl whispers. I'm sure they will be back soon. I don't know what to do with all these people. Make me invisible, the girl begs. I cannot. I cannot command the light very well here. Stay in the shadows. They will help you. The girl presses further into the disagreeable things as though they offer protection, as though they exist and are tangible, an imaginary security blanket. How could she be so close to the things that smelled like the poverty of depth? How could the girl abide the revealing nakedness of their touch? I did not risk their defilement. I did not let them infect me with their knowing or pollute me with their awareness. I took a step back and drew my own cloak closer about myself. The girl's shake of a head and a weary glance around. Am I supposed to talk to them? All the adults? They won't tell me what's happening even if I ask. They probably don't know. Is someone going to stay with us until mom and dad get back? Surely they won't leave you alone, but even if they all leave, I will stay, she says. The girl glances up. But he's your brother. Don't you want to know what's happening? I do know. The girl looks up at her, but does not pick up the question lying dead at her feet. Instead, the girl turns from her steady gaze. She looks back to the adults. They just left. So fast. Something's wrong. Yes. I haven't seen my brother. Where is he? In his bedroom. The girl looks towards the stairs. She pulls herself away from the clumps of shadows that stick to the wall and starts in the direction of the steps. A slowing of steps, a stop. The girl turns from the stairs and goes again to the front windows. 
She sits on the spastic, rusted radiator, pressing her feet into the warmth of its side and stares out. She stifles a spasm of coughing with her elbow. The reflections of the others stare back at her from the blackened window. I almost wish they would all leave, the girl whispers. I don't like those women doing things in our kitchen when mom's not here. Maybe I should tell them to go home. They won't disturb anything. They don't leave, not one. And they do disturb things. Many things. You do that, you understand. Disrupt and disarrange. Intruding in your infantile attempts to help. I know why your efforts to console are so badly deformed. It is because your concern in the matter is not for the one whom you say you are comforting. Your concern rests with yourself. You hover and watch a voyeuristic vigil to ensure none of the tragedy you see before you infests your own life. You feel safer knowing these things belong to someone else, and safer still if you keep watch and see to it that they stay where they belong. You are dark, scurrying creatures trying to keep clear of the disagreeable and the deprived surrounding you. You cannot, though, for you see not where you tread. You see nothing beyond the rims of your own fingernails. You think you see, but then those who are blind to color also believe they see. You don't know that your vision is lacking don't know the shallows and hollows of it. You stumble blindly. If this frosts you, always remember that it was him that made it so. A long, silent vigil, a background of muted conversation, an aimless moving between rooms. Then, car lights, the racket of an engine falling silent, footfalls on the steps outside, and the opening of the front door. The woman's eyes are red, the man's face is drawn. Curious looks from the others, muttered responses, shaking of heads. The girl listens for a time, pressing closer to the stairs. Finally, having gleaned what she needed from the muted conversations, she turns and moves up the steps with quick feet. One might have thought she was being chased. They said the baby was fine for now, the girl says into the darkness, where she lies half hidden under the blankets of her bed. She has just recovered her breath from another sawtoothed fit of hacking. Yes, for now, she says, again with a comforting hand on the shoulder. We need to find the door before it's too late. It is sealed. Finding it will not help. You should sleep now. A throwing back of blankets, a half-rising a consideration of the darkened window, a grab for the flashlight sequestered under the pillow. The girl presses the button, illuminating her face. For an instant, the room is lit with the amber glow of the torch, a tiny flame sealed in a bubble of glass. For an instant, she is in a different time entirely.
A girl holds a candle up against the grave face of the night and has the audacity to speak back to it. Bolder than the darkness she is, and it will be her undoing. She looks down into the light then turns it off again. She is merely the girl once more. We could go look for the door now, the girl says. She reaches out, searching blindly for the crumpled and refolded paper. She grasps for it in the dark, finally snagging it from the top of the cardboard box, presently serving as a bedside table. It's late. You aren't well. You still feel warm. You should stay in bed. It's not that late. Everyone is still downstairs, and I'm fine. The girl slides out of the bed, a groping in the darkness, a pulling on of clothes, a jamming of small feet into heavy shoes, a checking of items, and a slow, cautious creep to the top of the stairs. The girl stops and looks up at her. I need to be invisible, she insists. I cannot make you invisible, but the shadows will hide you. Go with them. A circumspect study of the dark, knobbly bumps standing against the wall. Are the shadows our friends? The girl asks. The turn of a distrustful eye on her. I smile. You would not find solace in such a smile. They never used to be my friends. They always scared me. The girl adds, again turning to study the black slabs amassed against the walls. Shadows are the opposite of light. They are simply a reflection of what is. In my world, the light has great strength. There, I command the light and it serves me. I cannot do that here. Here, the light is weak and the darkness has grown strong. A reflection of what is. The shadows serve no one but themselves, but they are not necessarily evil. Do not trust the shadows, but do not fear them either. See if they will help you now. No, she is wrong. Do not go to them. Do not trust them at all. A deep breath, and with it the girl slides between the shadows and the wall. The shadows slither and slide, moving to cling to the girl with a rasp and a loud breath in. She is not invisible, but in the dimming light of this world, a person would not see her unless they looked very hard for her. I wonder if it is different for her for a child. I have no understanding of being what this creature is. Formless, shapeless, malleable. She has nothing of herself. She is nothing but what she becomes from moment to moment, content in her wanderings to be nothing save what she is, true to her present at all times. Perhaps it is just another lie. Perhaps it is a trick of the world's time and its false movements. Yet the shadows accept her as one of their own. The girl takes a step or two, trying on her ebony cloak. It moves with her stiffly like a starched shroud. The girl trudges down the stairs, then skirts the edges of the room where 
the other still linger, deep in discomforting conversations that drip heavily, leaving silent ripples in the thick air. The girl watches the people moving towards the door with a hoarse whisper as the shadows skim at her feet. I cannot understand how none of the others hear this. The din of the shadows would wake the dead here, and sometimes does. Humans have lost their senses. They hear nothing and see nothing beyond that which they wish to accept. They know of nothing beyond their own thoughts, and even those grow fag and fog-ridden, half-truths built on shifting sands. It is no wonder the light of this world has grown feeble with so little use of it. Humans are infirm, withering in your unending twilight, commanding none of this world while everything seeks to command you. Telling nothing while allowing your experiences to explain their surroundings. Where I come from, the stories we tell are alive. Here they are nothing more than a foggy mirror, reflecting not time and space, but half-hearted ideals and half-realized dreams. The shadows know these things. They bide their time, waiting for their opportunity while they watch as the humans succumb to their trickery, their unheard whispers, their unseen herding of what might have been a strong and noble race. The humans have been too easily bent to the will of others. The drivings of the dark things aided by their own predilections and proclivities. I was right to refuse to help you lamentable creatures. You were and are undeserving unredeemable, too frail to hold to any course. He had no right to ask it of me. Me. He would have given pearls to swine. The girl slips unheard through the room, the clinging shadows drawing her with them into the darkness that awaits outside the house. The door latch closes with a dull click, and the girl is gone, disappearing into the night as the shadows mix with its indigo hues. A glance, a hurried, skulking, a dash to a far building, a tiptoeing glide along a wall to the outside corner. More wheezing coughs, then. The sounds falling silent as quickly as they are made unable to push far against the heavy night air. The flash of a light breaks the darkness and crumbles to the girl's feet as she studies the paper in her hand. I think we're here, the girl says, jabbing the flashlight at the paper. The door should be nearby. The door is hidden in darkness. Even if you find it, you will not be able to see it, she tells her. Yes, discourage this nonsense. At least she has sense enough to do that much. We'll see, the girl answers. Come on, she beckons. The pathetic beam of the flashlight moves forward, pulling the girl along with it as the shadows wrench back from the light. 
She glances at her paper now and then and wipes her brow with her sleeve as she moves steadily forward. A bark bends the air, followed closely by the shriek of a cat, a fluttering high overhead among the trees. The girl stops. I can hear the loud beating of her heart and the rasping of her lungs as they fight to pull in the thick as cream air. The sounds plummet to the ground. They land dully and are still. An echo cut short. The girl moves forward again until she comes to the foot of a bank. A low rumbling, growing louder, the ground quakes. The girl smothers her light with a click and the shadows rove over her and consume her again. A thunderous rattle, a low-lying howl, and the girl covers her ears, turning her head away from the tumult of the monstrosity that clatters on the steel rails along the top of the bank. There are few souls within it, and those few do not interest me now. The girl begins to turn, but the creatures that are darkness and revelation pull her forward into the gaping blackness under the hill. A metal tube, large and cold, the wind stirring restlessly inside it and running through it. The echoes of the roar overhead, less here, under the ground beneath the many churning feet. The girl lowers her hands and turns on her flashlight. She shines it around and sees Metal walls and a cement floor running through and under the hill. A culvert. The girl turns again to the paper, snarled from the tight gripping of it. She kneels and smooths the paper on the cement. She coughs on it as she studies it, small drops of saliva falling on the thing and bleeding the ink where they land. She turns the beam of light on it and relearns its lines. She looks straight ahead. I don't get it, she comments. The map says the door should be right here. She turns a pouting face up to her. She looks where the girl is pointing. Turn off your lamp, she replies. A hesitant glance, then a click, and the blackness pours down on the girl. I can't see, the girl cries and clutches her hand tightly. Wait, let the shadows do their work. A portrait for you. Deliberately, carefully, the shadows pull at the edges of the darkness, drawing back the spiderweb frail film. It sticks to them and they wrap themselves in it, stepping back. The darkness grows thinner and an... Almost their light appears out of the darkness. The light takes form in the center of the stillness. The shape of a door appears identifiable in its nothingness only by the brilliant lines outlining its edges. Light that reveals but is not shared with this world. The door glows a chestnut brown holding back the light behind it. Scrawls and... Forms line the top and the bottom of the door. The handle shines gold in the night. How long have they hidden it? 
and why? The girl stares and takes a step away from her, closer to the door. We found it, the girl whispers. This is it, right? Yes, she replies. This is the door to our world. What does the writing say? It is written in the language of my people. It says the door to Kerwin is shut and will not open again until Abigail, the servant girl, is safely home again. Hmm, was all the girl said in reply. She sniffs and swipes her nose with the sleeve of her sweater. The girl moves forward with another determined step. She reaches up and fingers a round brass fitting on the front of the door. She lets her finger trace the shape carved into the surface of it. This is a weird shape, she observes. Is this where the key goes? She turns back to her expectantly. Yes, the key sets into that shape, she replies. But we don't have the key. The girl grips the handle of the door and twists it hard. The handle remains stubbornly unmoved and the girl's hand slides from it harshly. Ouch, she cries, holding one hand in the other. She frowns up at the door. The girl reaches high over her head and thumps on the door with her fist. Her efforts are met with the dull echo of the knocking as it bounces along the tunnel. The sound ends, and a cold silence that smells of loneliness follows hard on its heels. A fist, an angry pounding, a clamor of thumping and echoes, a kick. A sloppy tear and a turning, a snuffling in the folds of her gown. A jag of ragged hacking that turns to interrupted wheezing and slowly settles into raspy breathing. Why won't they open the door? Why won't they help us? The girl wails into the nothingness surrounding her. We must keep the worlds apart. It would be dangerous for you if they were to meet, was her reply. The girl knows so very little of just how dangerous it would be. to Key to Carowin, a work of original fiction by Wendy Fair. Key to Carowin was narrated by Mason Fair, with original music provided by Serena Fair. For more information about this and other projects, please visit shifterspress.ca. Thank you for listening.